0: We are uh, we're looking tonight at the discipline of Bible intake. Um, in some ways, this is probably the easiest of the disciplines, and you'll see why I say that in a few minutes, uh, because it's really not that hard for us to read the scriptures, but my mind goes to places in Africa and in Asia where vast communities of Christians do not have access to the Word of God. Um, some do not have it because they can't read and so uh, even if they could you know um, some have some do not have it because they don't have it in their language some do not have it because there's just not it's just not available to them uh mitchell that slider underneath pulpit pull it down just a hair what number is it on 10 plus uh above zero or below zero below okay yeah thank you jim I tell you, you ask a nine-year-old to run sound and uh, it's, he's, he's got a challenge ahead of him, doesn't he? Um, there are some places where access to the scripture just isn't possible. In some places where access to the scripture uh, might be possible, but it's very difficult for them to get to it. And so when we are talking about uh, the intake of uh, the Bible, Bible intake, the discipline of Bible intake—it's kind of easy for us because we have such ready access to the Word of God. But not everybody has that, and so I recognize that in some parts of the world, uh, this isn't the easiest discipline because getting the Bible is difficult. Um, but we don't have that excuse—we have it, we have it readily available. In fact, um, I mean, if you don't have a Bible, come see me—I've got plenty. I can—I'll I, be certainly glad to give you one tonight. Looking at the spiritual disciplines, we start with Bible intake and we remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm one nineteen eleven. I have stored up your word in my heart, he says, that I might not sin against you. Putting the word of God into us has the effect of us being more like him. And that's the purpose of the disciplines, right? Is godliness. Discipline yourself, Paul tells Timothy, for the purpose of godliness. So how do we get the word of God in? I'm going to give us uh, uh, just a couple of brief ways that we can talk, that we can that we can focus on storing up God's word in our heart. Uh, ways of taking in the Bible. Next week we'll talk about some of the more in-depth kind of things, things like memorization and things like meditation that will really drive it into the depths of our heart but for right now we got to get the word in there first and then we can work with it and really get it down in so so for tonight we're focused on getting the word of god in and we do that in a couple of different ways but before we do anything of that uh let's go to the lord in prayer shall we father we thank you for a day that is nice and toasty outside and and inside the sanctuary too but god we know that we are we are richly blessed We're blessed because we have you, because we have your word, the ability to take it in for it to guide our lives. Father, shape us as we consider your word and how to bring it into our hearts. In Jesus name, amen. All right, so how do we take the word of God in? I've got four things for us to just kind of briefly run through and then we'll practice it, okay? First thing, The first uh, way to take in the Word of God is probably the easiest way to take in the Word of God, and you're already doing it. Hear. Hear it regularly. Now, I say regularly because this is something that if it's going to be a discipline, it needs to be something that we do over time. Disciplines don't happen in a moment. They don't happen once and then it's done. Discipline happens over a long period of time and so it's not just enough to hear the word of God every now and then. To hear the word of God in uh, sporadic moments here and there. To hear the word of God accidentally. We must hear it regularly. So congratulations you're already starting on that road because you're in church. Right? And and the, part of the purpose of church is to come together to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, but also to read the word, to study it, to know it better, so that we can apply it to our lives. Right? That's that's kind of the purpose of church. So for those of you who aren't in church, I'm looking straight at you, camera. You know, those of you watching on Facebook, get in a local church where you can hear the word of God preached on a regular basis. I don't have to preach that to y'all, y'all are always here. But at the same time, there's more to it than just hearing it, right? Because you can hear and not listen. So so we actually want to listen to the word as well. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, sit down, Brett. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, look, until I come to see you, You keep doing these things. And one of those things is the public reading of scripture. If you'll remember, uh, they are dedicating the wall in Nehemiah. And what do they do? They have this nice big party. And what do they do for the party? Ezra the scribe gets up and he reads the words of God. And the whole assembly stands for the reading of the word. And they stay standing for four hours until the middle of the day. Aren't you glad I let you sit for, you know, or just only read a few verses before before we sit down. We hear it regularly. When we come together, we hear the word of God. In Romans 10, Paul is talking about uh, this idea of hearing the word. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So we hear God's word. And because we hear God's word, it promotes the faith within us. okay hear it regularly. That's the first step. Second step, we hear it regularly, we read it prayerfully. So not only do we hear it with our ears, we also read it with our eyes. By the way, these are not exclusive. You can read it and hear it at the same time. That's why we put the verses on the screen. The whole point of that is so you can see with your eyes and you can hear with your ears. Because if I just just show you the verse and have you read it all the time, that's good. If I just say it out loud and let you listen, that's good. But if we do both, well, that engages the mind even more. So uh, read it, hear it regularly, read it prayerfully. Jesus addressed our need to hear, to read uh, God's word. If you'll remember, Satan tempts him, uh, you look hungry. Why don't you turn this stone into bread? What does Jesus say? Matthew 4, 4. But he answered, it is written. I find that interesting. There are some cultures in which it is written uh, uh, is is not as big of a deal. In England, they have a constitution that is not written. The laws of of the nation of Great Britain are not written down in the same way that our laws are written. Now, now they have all kinds of case statutes and all kinds of different things, but in in terms of an enumeration of rights, in terms of of, um, what, what... common law states it's not written down it's kind of wishy-washy it's kind of flip-floppy it's you know to use a word that I used earlier this morning it's it's whatever a judge happens to determine is in line with the precedent but it's not just all written down where you can look at one document and say this is our rights we're a little bit different here we have ours written down and so we can point to a constitution with the amendments and we can say look there's the right There it is. It's written down. We have in God's word a written testimony. It's not just something that we make up off the top of our heads. It's already written down for us. And so our task is to read what is written. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, how do we live? Not just from bread, but from God's Word, and this makes sense. He's the God who creates everything by His word. He's the God who sustains everything by His word. A couple times during Jesus's career, uh, people would ask him questions. Once, uh, some Sadducees asked him about this woman. They had this hypothetical situation: this woman uh, had a was married to a guy. He died before he had any children. So, so uh, she married the next. Oldest brother, right? You know, this is this is that this is that trend. You, you, uh, the next brother in line would marry the woman, have a son, and and he would carry on the older brother's lineage. There, that way, the the name would continue throughout perpetuity. But this one died, so she married the third. That one died now, all the way through all seven brothers, and then they say, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Jesus, first of all, scolds them that you don't know what you're talking about. But then he says this in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-one: 31, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? Haven't you read in the word of God? You see, Jesus assumes that his enemies would have read. They're religious leaders. They should have read, right? How much more is it incumbent on those of us who are the friends of God? whom God has ransomed by the purchase of his own blood in Jesus Christ on the cross and, and resurrected on the third day, how much more should we not have read too? So we read the word of God, Second Timothy 3. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. How can scripture complete us if we don't know what it says? So we got to read the word. How often? Well, I think uh, John Blanchard can answer that question for us. He was an English preacher that wrote a book called How to Enjoy Your Bible. This is what he says. Surely we have only to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need to turn to the Bible. How often do we face problems? Temptation, pressure every day, right? How often then do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement every day to catch all these felt needs up into an even greater issue? How often do we need to see God's face, to hear his voice, to feel his touch, to know his power? The answer to all these questions is the same every day. So ought we every day to read his word. So we hear it with our ears, we read it with our eyes, There's another step. It's one thing. It would be one thing if I said, let's all go off the Australian coast to the Great Barrier Reef and we're all going to take snorkels and goggles and we're all going to put our heads just below the surface and get a big overview of what it looks like. It'd be fantastic just doing that, right? But how much better would it be if you could strap on some scuba gear and go into the reef and see it up close? so much better it is not only to read God's word, but to study it carefully. So we hear it regularly, excuse me, regularly. We read it prayerfully. We study it carefully. Ezra is described this way in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Notice the progression he set his heart, there's discipline, for what? To study. Why? To do it and to teach it. That, that progression uh, applies to us just as much as it applied to Ezra. We must discipline ourselves to study so that we would do it ourselves and be able to teach others to do it. Paul went to Thessalonica started preaching in the synagogue. The Jews, man, they got so mad. They ran Paul out of town, caused such an uproar. Paul had to leave before the local authorities got involved. He goes to Berea and he goes to the synagogue in Berea and he shares with them and he gets a totally different response. Now these Jews, Acts 17, 11 tells us, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't just take Paul's word for it. They didn't just assume Paul was wrong because it's something they had never heard before. They opened up their Bibles and they studied and they asked the question, does what Paul is saying line up with what God has said? And sure enough, it did. And so the result, verse 12, many of them therefore believed. That's our role. We hear God's word, we read it, we study it, we come to know what it means, and then we live by it. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Yours might say, rightly dividing. It's it's kind of the same, we have this old saying um, of um, separating fact from fiction. You ever heard that saying? D- dividing in that case kind of means that same thing. That same idea of, of taking dividing between what is true and what is false, the the right ideas about what Scripture is saying, and the wrong ideas. Just separating those apart. That's what that's what the word dividing meant then. Okay. In in talking about studying the Word of God, Richard Foster uh, makes an astute observation. He says the mind will always take on an order confirming to the order of what upon what it concentrates. Let me read that again and maybe a little clearer. Sorry. The mind will always take on an order conforming to the order upon which it concentrates. If you focus on something, it will alter the way you think. It will change the way the synapses in your brain develop. This is why kids that learn a language, another language, when they're really young have a much easier time learning additional languages as they grow up because their mind is shaped in such a way to learn different languages. It's why it's so crucial for us to study God's word because when we focus on it, it changes us, makes us more like God. Uh, Foster goes on to describe the process of studying. He gives four steps. I'm going to briefly run through these. First is repetition over and over and over again. You, you, the first step of studying is just over and over and over. You think it's mind-numbing. You remember multiplication tables as a kid. Oh my goodness, when is this going to be over? It's, it's, it's repetition. Why? Because you're going to learn it that way. The best way to learn multiplication tables is over and over and over again because you're finally, finally your mind says, you know what, I'm tired of working this hard to figure it out. I'm just going to remember it. That's the idea. So first, repetition. Get it into your head. Second, concentration. Think of repetition as like shining a light. Think of concentration as making that light into a laser beam that is zeroed in on one point. It's, it's the focus of the mind. Uh, in Psalm 49, verse 4, the psalm that says, I will incline my ear to a proverb. That incline my ear, that's concentrating. I'll concentrate on it. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to focus on this until I get it. Concentration. Third step comprehension. You ever, you ever have that moment? where you've been trying to figure something out and suddenly it dawns on you, there's a joke that you hear and you can't get it. And then finally you're like, oh, that's what that joke is. Or, or it's something that you've been, you've been trying to remember a name and it's on the tip of your tongue. And then finally, about 10 minutes after the person you're talking to leaves, you're like, oh, that's who that was. I know now. <laughs> Comprehension. When we focus our concentration on something, eventually... Maybe it takes a long time, but eventually, finally, we break through the fog and we understand it. This is what makes study a discipline, because comprehension doesn't come fast. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you see it once and you've got it. I understand it. I know it. I'm good to go. Sometimes it takes over and over and over again and over and over and over and over and over again. And then over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then you still forget it and you have to relearn it. Sometimes comprehension takes a lot of effort. John, Jesus is talking to his believers and he says to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Notice notice the pattern. Abiding in his word leads to knowing the truth Which leads to them being set free by the truth. The impact of the truth does not happen until they know it, and knowing it doesn't happen until they abide in his word first. It takes time. Spurgeon once said, visit many great books, but live in the Bible. And this is why. Then there's a fourth step that he talks about. It's called reflection. It's great to understand it, but you need to put, you need to reflect it back onto yourself. Because the truth of God's word is not something to be intellectually grasped. It's something to be personally applied. It's not to know. The goal of scripture is not to know, it's to do. Now you gotta know first, but it's to put it into practice. Jesus said this, whoever, everyone then who hears these, I'm sorry, I skipped the point. Sorry about that. Um, go ahead and skip to Matthew tw- uh, 7, Mitchell. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You hear the words and you do them. You're like a man who's building his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. It's a reflection. How how It's not just hearing, it's doing. It's reflecting it on yourself and asking, how does this scripture actually impact me? What makes this significant to my life versus just generally applicable to everybody? That's why when I'm evangelizing, when I'm telling someone about Christ, I tell them that everybody's a sinner. And then I ask them the question, are you a sinner? Because a lot of times I get the answer of, oh, you know, I'm not that bad. And I know they didn't get it. <laughs> and I, we got to go back. Because I want them to come face to face with the fact that they are sinners because they can't come to know Christ until they do. It's got to reflect back on me. Which means that the final way, now we'll go back to that point I just missed. The final way, we, uh, we hear it regularly. We read it prayerfully. We study it carefully then we observe it actively. We put it into practice and we watch it happen. In this uh, uh, example that Jesus gives, surely he had seen rains that had destroyed a house because its foundation was not sure. He's seen another house that, that subject to the same rains that still stands because it had a good foundation. It's an observation from outside. It, it's, not, it's not something you read, he read in here. there's, There's nobody that talks about that happening. He saw it happen with his eyes and recognized there's a spiritual truth there that these people need. And so he speaks that truth in a way that they will grasp, that they will understand so they can see it happen in front of them. Romans 8, Paul looks at the suffering that we face in this world. We're in this already, but not yet. And he says, for I consider... That word is a word that means I have observed and studied and thought for a long time and I've come to the realization that the suffering we're going through now is nothing compared to the glory to come. You don't get that at a glance. All right, so now let's do it. I asked y'all to be thinking about some passages. Who has a passage that they would be willing to read out something that maybe it's a favorite passage of yours, maybe it's something you've read recently, but just something that you'd be willing to just stand and read some verses for us to hear the word of God. Tell us where you're going to read from first so we can all turn there and see it with our eyes too. So who's got one? Go for it. This comes from um, Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. I, he's making sure they can hear, sorry. So Isaiah 43, give us a sec. Give us a second to turn there, okay? Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 43. If you're not already there, if somebody opened there, I'd be impressed if somebody already opened there, not knowing what she was going to say. Isaiah 43, you're starting in verse 1? Okay. All right, y'all there? Everybody there? All right. If you're watching at home, get your Bible and turn there too. Isaiah 43, we'll start in verse 1. Go ahead, read. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed. I have called you by name, you are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you, you will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. For I, Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your safe and your Savior it is a ransom from fish and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I will give people in exchange for my fear. Who has another one? the Genesis one. Yeah. Yeah. I got car like a lid on Okay. John one one. John one one, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of he's John is to to use a term in um music, he's He's ripping off of Genesis one in order to and in, in in the structure of his. So go ahead. Read it. and the word was God. Yeah. Yeah. Because of verse fourteen for sure. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mitchell, what verse he got? John 3:16. you got a Bible back there? Open. Get your Bible open it read it for us. There you go. where? Luke 23 okay? Yeah. Absolutely. Any others? Romans one sixteen. Romans Okay. I the What others? Hebrews 13, 5. Read it for us. Yeah. One of my favorites actually comes from the book of Ezekiel. Um, This is one of those things where like I was reading through and it's just like, I knew it was in there somewhere and then when I found it it was kind of interesting he's talking about condemnation to uh he's he's talking about how his people are condemned because of their evil works and then he says in chapter 20 verse 32 what is in your mind shall never happen the thought let us be like the nations like the tribes of the countries and worship wood and stone As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt so I will enter into judgment with you declares the Lord God I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And then he goes on a little bit later and he says, and you shall know that I am the Lord, verse 44, when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. God. We think of God's judgment as this terrible thing and it's just like, yeah, I'm going to judge you. But I'm doing it because my name's going to be glorified and I'm not even dealing with you half as bad as you deserve so that when you get out of this on the other side, you're going to look back and you're going to say, "Wow, God really is good, even in his wrath, even in his judgment." I I just I love the thought of a God who's able to judge and be merciful at the same time and and display His glory all at once. It's just it's just an amazing thought to me. What other passages, what other things have, have you come across? Larry, do you have one? Revelation 22, 18. It's going to the end of the book. Go for it, Larry. Well, I testify that every man will hear the words of this book. If any man shall add in these things, God shall unto him the plagues are Take away from the words of the book, the prophecy. God will take away his part of, out of the book of the tree of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. He which testified these things with said, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, grace my Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, saints. Amen. Here it is. We went from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, huh? <laughs> You got another one, Mitchell? What what you got? Well why didn't you just read that earlier? Go ahead, read it, man. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Any others? Yeah. Yeah. A reminder that we have to be fully devoted, huh? James, you got one? You got that smile on your face like like you don't want to, but you want to? Come on. What you got? <laughs> no? <laughs> Any other passages? Now we're talking about reading it and, and hearing it with our ears. Um, I got to give you some homework, though. We don't have time to delve into nearly all of these passages. We don't even have time to really study one of the passages right here. Uh, So guess what you get to do? (laughs) I'm going to ask you to take a passage. It might have been one you read. It might have been one someone else read. Look it up. Study it. mull it over in your head. Repeat it over and over and over again. Concentrate on it until you find that nugget that God wants you to find in his word and then reflect on it ask how does this apply to me what 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 of this word need do I need to put into practice how can I use this to better glorify you and if you want in fact I would highly encourage you get get a pen and paper maybe there's questions maybe you make observations and you write them down maybe you think of other things while you're going through this some some particular things that you don't know why they're popping into your head, but prayer requests that come to mind, write them down. This is an active thing. It's not just about sit back and let someone else feed me. You got to digest your own food, right? Same is true with the Bible. You got to take it in and process it, digest it, let it have an impact on you. For those of you who are at home, I'd encourage you to do the same. Get your Bible, look at a passage, study it, concentrate on it. Read it out loud. I know it sounds weird, but just read it out loud as you're reading it. Incorporate the senses. Let God's word be your sole focus. And like a laser beam, it stays in a single point all the way to the back of the room. I got it on the doors. There you go. (laughs) Keep your focus on that one passage, that one verse, that maybe it's that one word and let God do his work as you focus on it let's pray together father humble us as we approach your word we've listened to what you've had to say some of them were good things some of them were harsh things some of them were very sober reminders some of them were some of the things you say are are not always easy or comfortable or not always the things that we like to think about but God you've said them and that makes them worthy of our focus, worthy of our concentration, worthy of our attention. So God, help us every day to intake your word regularly to hear it, prayerfully to read it, carefully to study it, and actively to observe it. That we may be more like you. Thank you for this precious gift. Help us not take it for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.